0: Guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 20, where we saw the beginning of the law of Moses. Now, remember, when we talk about the law, also called the law of Moses, it basically covers Exodus through Deuteronomy. And what we saw in chapter 20 as God was On Mount Sinai speaking to the children of Israel and remember in all of the flames of fire the thunder the lightning and all of that the grand display that he gave the first ten Commandments or as it said in the book of Deuteronomy the ten words and we understand this as the principle of the law of Moses or the foundation of the law of Moses to the which that from these ten Commandments God will further expand addition, this, these 10 commandments. He will further expand these commandments into additional commandments. And so in totality, that will be from Exodus to Deuteronomy, 613 commandments in all. But from these 10, God will give the remaining 603 commands. Okay? So we understand in these 10 They are principal and foundational to the which God will give further commandments, which which will be understood as and can be understood as ordinances or covenant law, the law of the covenant. So we have these basic foundational 10 and then there will be the additional commandments that will come over time because they won't all come at one time. They'll be divided up into certain periods of time. And they will be the law of the covenant in totality. Okay, And so in chapter 20, let's let's end our review on that. So what happened as the people were there with this grand display of God as he was speaking from Mount Sinai, they became very afraid. And so they related to Moses that Moses, you hear what God had to say and then you come back and you tell us. And the people just simply further withdrew away from the mountain of God. And so Moses simply told him, God was not, he, God was not simply appearing to you in this manner without cause. He wants to put his fear in you so that you will always respect and obey his laws forever. All right. But nevertheless, Moses drew near unto God in this great display of power and God further gives Moses his laws. And here's where we could This is where we come into chapter 21 and we begin to talk about the laws of the covenant. Okay, so with all of that, let's go into chapter 21. Now, these are the ordinances which you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but on the seventh, he, he shall go out as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall, shall belong to her master and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him permanently. Okay, now this is a lengthy chapters and we will run into a lot of lengthy chapters when we get into the giving of the law. So I don't know how much of the chapters or if I need to divide the chapters up. To provide commentary so that the videos won't be so long but we're going to do our best to complete a chapter per video but per adventure if we can't do it guys because sometimes i'll provide more commentary and in the commentary if there is a reflection to the new testament or a reflection in particular to christ that i want to bring i'll bring that out and so you know that'll take more time. okay. But anyway, we'll try to do it um, a chapter per video. So now we get into the covenantal laws of Moses. And he talks about the issue concerning Hebrew slaves. And now you have to see this too now. This is not about slaves that the Hebrews, that the Jewish people would be able to acquire amongst Gentile, Gentile slaves. This is not about Gentile slaves. This is about Hebrews taking Hebrews as slaves. Okay, so we're going to get into that issue. So he says concerning the Hebrew slave, if a Hebrew should take another Hebrew as a slave, that Hebrew slave is only permitted to serve him for six years. And on the seventh year, that Hebrew slave is to go out free. Now, there will be other things that God would talk about. Other additional commandments that God will give concerning this Hebrew slaves and will. And so the best thing for me to do is not to talk about that right now, since God is not talking about that right now and make the video long. (laughs) But he goes out, but he shall go out free without payment. That means that this Hebrew slave is to be released by his master without any cost at all to be given to his master. There is no price for redemption, no payment price to be given to the master. He is simply to set him free. And so it gives further uh, details upon how the treatment of the Hebrew slave is to be and how the release of the Hebrew slave is to be here in particular, the release of the Hebrew slave. And that is, if he came alone, he leaves alone. If he comes with a wife, then the slave is to be released Also with his wife. But if during the time that the slave, that the Hebrew is enslaved to his master, if during that time his master gives him a wife. And of course, what you know, what comes naturally is the bearing of children and the wife bears children. Then the Hebrew slave is to leave alone. But his wife and his children belong to his master. Because the master gave him those wife and the children. And so therefore they shall be considered as property to the master. But peradventure, if the slave has to say, and you can see the connection too with the master giving him wife and, and he having children. You can see this connection that if the slave determines that he wants to be permanently a slave to his master. Why, why can you see that connection? He has a wife and he has children. So you can see the desire to be permanent because the wife and the children will remain with the master. You got it. And so you can see him permanently wanting to keep his wife and children. So you can see that. So that's that assumption that we see it as well here. But also, too, even greater than that assumption. What does it say? It says if the slave regards his master with great l- love and joy so if the slave says what I love my master and what else notice my wife and my children he wants to keep the wife of the children <laughs> but he says I still love my master my master is good to me so he decides to be permanently a slave to his master because remember the slave can only be a slave for six years in the seventh year He must go free, but only the slave can make this determination. What determination? He says on the grounds that I really love my master and I want to keep my wife and my children. Then there is a procedure that he can do. He the master must bring him. So it has to be legitimized. It has to be legitimized when the other Jewish people see this Hebrew permanent being a slave. It has to be brought before God. Now here when it uses the word God here, the word here is Elohim, but the idea is before the judges. So it is using the word God as it pertains to human being. That is human judges. So the idea is these judges will be serving kind of like In the place of, in the sight of, for the honor and glory of God. And that's the idea of judges. Whenever there are judges, they are to be serving in this capacity before God, in the sight of God, in the place of God. So therefore, they should serve honorably and justly, righteously. So that's why we begin to use this term. Uh, Moses used this term. God, they should be the master shall bring him before God. But let's continue on. So he brings him before God and at the doorpost, that is the judges and at the doorpost of his house, he is to take an awl that is simply an ancient device that was used for many different types of things, but it was sharp and he should pierce his ears. He should pierce the slave, the master or the judges should pierce the slave's ear. And when he pierces his ear, this will be the indication that this slave is a slave for life by choice. He is a slave for life by choice. And so therefore this slave will be a slave unto his master and should never leave his master's house. And therefore he will be in the care of his master until the day he died. So this is the only time that Hebrew slaves can be held in permanent service. But at any other time, Hebrew slaves were to be indentured servants. That is, they should serve for only a short period of time, six years. Now, with respect to this, there is a a look that is this speaks of Jesus That is the sense of slave for life. For we see in Psalm 40, for that's where it begins there, when it talks about uh, 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 sacrifices of oxen and sheep. God did not desire, but my ears you have opened. And that word for open can also be understood as. My ears, you have pierced. So there is a direct reference, looking back unto this, and so, and then, then what does he say? Behold, I come to do your will, O God. Psalm forty, and this is understood in Hebrews chapter ten. And I'm getting excited, so I'm going to slow it down. This is understood in Hebrews chapter ten when the writer of Hebrews ten speaks of Jesus in the same way as he speaks of Jesus with reflection to Psalm 40, reflecting back to Exodus chapter 21, permanent servitude, a permanent slave. And what does he say? He says, uh, uh, sacrifice of bulls and goats. You desire not, but what? A body you have prepared for me. And then it is written, what? Lo, I come to do your will, O God, in the volume that is written concerning me. But the whole point is it speaks of Jesus Jesus looks at the father. And what does he say about the father guys? We can go on and on and on about this, but what does he say about the father? He loves the father. And therefore we can see the son coming into the world to do the will of God. He is that permanent slave of God to the very end. And what does Jesus constantly say concerning himself? I did not come into this world to do my will. I came to do one thing, the father's will, because why? The son loves the father. He is a slave unto the father. So what do we see in Exodus 21? If that slave should say, I love my master and therefore I choose to permanently be linked unto him. And this is what we see fulfilled in Jesus as he himself comes into the world, loving his father. He comes into the world as the son of man. Oh, I can talk about that, but I don't want to get into it. But to do the will of God, and that is to glorify the father by giving his life on the cross. So let me stop there. So all of this speaks of this permanent, uh, slavery to the father and that heart attachment that we see. He loving his father, right? And loving those whom the father has given unto, him. <laughs> let me leave it alone. Cause we can talk. Remember the master gave, give the slave a uh, wife and children. Same thing too. God gives unto Jesus. That's John chapter six. Those whom the father give unto me. (laughs) And for this reason, he is bound unto the father. He loves the father. But anyway, the perfect picture of Jesus is seen and elaborated. Even in these details. But now let's go back to the law of Moses, to the commentary that Moses himself is speaking of. Okay, Concerning the slave. And so now we've dealt with that part. So now let's go to verse number seven. If a man sells his daughter as a female slave, she is not to go free as the male slaves do. If she is displeasing in the eyes of a master who designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He does not have the authority to sell her to a foreign people because of his unfairness to her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes to himself another woman, he may not reduce her food, her clothing, or her conjugal rights. If he he will not do these three things for her, then he shall, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. Okay. Now we want to talk about this. So now we're talking about female slaves and he says it is different for female slaves than it is for male slaves. And in the sense that the male slave goes free after six years, that is in the seventh year, he goes free. It's not the same for the and this is the female Jewish slave. This is not the same for the female Jewish slave. When she goes out, she must be redeemed. That is, some type of monetary money must be paid for the female slave to be released. And the reason why the money for the female slave is to be paid for the release is because the, the general sense. Men took female slaves in the usually as secondary wives for themselves or uh, uh, they will. Be, this is called the concubine, concubine, secondary wives. They are wise, but they don't have the full rights and privileges as wives. But notice they will they do have rights. We're going to see this in the rest of the text. They do have rights, but they don't have the full rights and privileges of the wife. Herself. And we'll talk about that later on in the law of Moses. Okay, so this is why she should be taken. Um, This is why she was normally taken. So if he takes a wife for him, a secondary for himself and notice and she becomes displeasing to him for whatever the reason might be. Notice she she shall be redeemed. That is, remember, I said the whole point is not about the six years. That she'll be set free, but she is allowed to be paid for. That is, if she has some kind of resources, she can do it herself. If her family has resources, her father, her brothers, her uncles or whatever. okay and we'll talk about that much later on in what would be known as kinsman redeemer, the law of redemption. But this is simply and I don't want to get into it right now where a kinsman of yours could pay a price and and you can be redeemed out of some sort of bondage or slavery. So here, the woman can be redeemed if her master is unsatisfied with her. Monies can be paid and she can be redeemed and he can, or he can sell her to another Hebrew, but she cannot be sold to a Gentile. And that's what it means to a foreigner of the people because this will be treating her in an unfair way. So the woman can be redeemed by money or but she could not be sold to another Gentile. So that's the first case. If the man takes her secondary wife, he becomes displeased. She can be redeemed. Her freedom can be bought with money, but she cannot be sold to another Gentile. Then the second case, if the man bought the woman for adult to be to be married to her son. So he, a man could buy another Hebrew woman. That is the father. Okay. Let me slow it down. So you guys get the picture properly. The father, the father of this Jewish woman is the one who has the right to sell her. So that's the idea of what's going on here. The father of the Jewish woman sells his daughter to another Jewish man. Okay. And remember in all of these contexts, unless specified differently is talking about Jews interacting with other Jews. So keep that in mind. Okay. So the father says unto another Jewish man and it is the father who has only the father has this power. Now, for whatever reason, And not for whatever the reason, the father does these things. But normally the father would sell his daughter because the family fell into poverty in some way. The family has become impoverished and therefore he sells his daughter in this manner. Okay, number one. And since I'm here and it's in my mind, what you will see here, because sometimes we have this, especially in modern America and in this modern world of ours, when we say the word slave, we have a very negative repulsion against slavery. And then when we look at the old Testament, we have, we have this, uh, uh, we look down on it and we look down on the law of God with respect to slavery because slavery is permissible in the old Testament. And slavery is not only permissible, but God also gives guidelines for slavery. That's what we see here. Okay, And so we look down on slavery from our perspective and we say that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. But you have to understand slavery is different and slavery was always intended to be humane. And slavery, as we'll see in the law of Moses, instead of it's giving people an option. In other words, so that your family don't starve to death, God gives them options to be slaves. To, so so that I don't starve to death. You got it. OK, let's just talk so that I don't starve to death. I find a, a wealthy Hebrew uh, a person. Wealthy person. I'm a Jew. He's a Jew. I sell myself to him as a slave. When he takes me in, he provides me food, clothing, and shelter. I provide him labor. And it's only right. Because think, he's feeding me. He's clothing me. He's giving me a place to live. If he hadn't done these things for me, I would be on the streets and literally starve to death. So what does God do? He gives a provision. He says, I tell you what you can do. You can give yourself as a slave to this person. And as a slave, he will provide for you. And it's only right since he's doing these things for you. You need to do something for him, too. So you need to give him what labor in. response to all those things that he's giving you and then even further so and I know I'm well ahead I'm well ahead but notice even in that slavery you're not to be a slave forever and then we'll find out for for seventh year you'd be free as we've already talked about and then we're going to find out what that even and this is even later on in the text and I don't want to get into it this is in the book of Leviticus. That when the Hebrew slave is set free, you ain't going to just don't let the the slave master, the slave owner, you don't let him just leave and send him on his way with nothing. No, you are the slave master is uh, directed by God to provide for that slave how God has blessed him. So say, for instance, if the master is rich and wealthy in sheep and goat, when he send the slave out. Send the slave out with sheep and goat. So the slave is even to be blessed once he is let. So you're not a slave forever, but once he is let, you give him things so that he can begin to live a fruitful and productive life. He can sustain himself. So slavery is not the bad thing, the kunta kinte and the Toby stuff. It's not the same in the law of Moses. Slavery it's given as a provision so that people can provide for themselves. So it's not, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I am saying it's a helpful thing. And even so, because I'm dealing with the negativity that we in modern American Western societies like to apply to slavery because of how we acted in slavery. It's not the same in the law of God. You're going to find out that in slavery, the slaves are never to be mistreated, even though they are considered to be property of the master, but never to be mistreated of the master. They are always, you'll see this in the mindset of God, treat the slaves with kindness, treat the slaves with care. Do not abuse your slaves, even as Even as even as what we have already dealt with the point that says, if my master says, I'm sorry, if the slave says, I love my master and I want to stay with my master forever. See it. So even so, what can you see? It's such a beautiful thing. What can you see? Slavery was never intended to be hurtful to the slave. Harmful to the slave. The master's treatment of the slave was always intended to be with justice, with kindness, and with love. And what is God trying to say? He wants the master to treat that slave so good that the slave would be willing to stay with him forever. So, what am I trying to say? All of this mindset, this improper, wrongful interpretation of slavery in the Old Testament, wrong understanding of slavery in the Old Testament, the wrong misapplication of slavery in the Old Testament. Misapplication to what? Slavery in the Old Testament As it is slavery in the Western world as it developed in the Western world as it developed in American society as it developed in the South in America all that mess leading up to the Civil War this is not the slavery of the Old Testament it is not so get that Kunta kente Foolishness out of your mind. As we move through these texts, what remember that God intended slavery to be helpful to those who sold themselves as slaves or sold their families, daughters or even sons to be saved, to be slaves, to be helpful and that the slave owner, the master never mistreat the slave. And you will see that even as we move through the text. Okay. All right. I had to deal with that part. And so now I don't think we'll be able to finish (laughs) the chapter. But let me go on anyway. Let's see how far we can go. So back to the commentary on the text. So if the the father sold the daughter to be a slave, the slave to the master and the master bought this female slave for a wife for his daughter. Notice what it says. Notice. See the beauty. You will deal with that woman slave like a daughter. In other words, her slavery is no more. You're going to deal with her as if, no, no, because she is your son's wife. Therefore, guess what? Your son won't deal with her like a slave and your, and the man who bought her, his father won't deal with her like a slave. You see the beauty of it? Provision, is not the same. But now let's continue. See, and the respect for the woman here is given. See that the respect you're going to treat her like a wife. Remember, I told. Remember, I told you there's a difference in being treated. A uh, difference in the primary wife. So this woman bought for the son is going to be treated as a primary wife to that son. But anyway, let's go on. But if back to the scenario. Of the man the the master the slave owner buying the woman for his secondary wife okay for the secondary wife so if he bought her for that purpose if he is displeased with the woman he can't sell her but he has to keep her and and if he if so if in keeping her what must be done notice let's go to verse number 11 10 and 11 he takes a woman to himself right He may not reduce her food, her clothing and her conjugal rights. You got it. He may not. Okay. again, I almost I I just see the beauty, guys. Because when you take a slave to yourself, you are responsible for taking care of that slave. So but if the woman that he bought for himself, secondary wife, all right, is in any way unpleasing, he can't sell her. He can't sell her to a Gentile. He can't allow her to be bought with money. Okay. But up until then, until then he has to continually provide for her. Notice the idea. You still cannot mistreat her. You can't take away her food, her daily food for her provision. As you were providing food for her in the beginning, you will continue to do that. You can't mistreat her. Notice, at food, her clothing, as you were clothing her in the beginning, you will continue to provide the same clothing for her. You cannot in that slavery is not the same. You still got to give clothing. And then he deals with this. And now I want to deal with a lot of Hebrew, but it is a special time. All right. He says you shall not take from her her conjugal rights now in the text the word in the text is wa'onatha, wa'onatha. this is what is called and okay and i want hapax legomena a hapax legomena is a word that is used in scripture only one time and and it's only one time used. and because of the one time usage sometimes the word can be ambiguous, and so there is a debate with the usage of this word uh, "wa anatha," "wa anatha," and the debate is right here: Does it mean sexual privileges? That is, is Moses saying God, God, saying that? because remember he he bought the woman as a secondary wife and so therefore guess what he's doing he's having sex with the woman so he's saying that not only what must not be diminished diminished notice that's the word when he says it cannot be taken away that means to reduce you can't diminish it it can be kept at the same level sex you need to continually have your regular sexual visitations you got to keep having sex you must Satisfy her this way. So the point is, is he saying this with this word, with this hypoxia, this is one uh, meaning of it. And then there are other thoughts that be meaning uh, rabbis of the day thought that it could possibly mean shelter as well. So the idea would be food, clothing and shelter. You shall not diminish these things, but consider diminish the shelter. uh, Okay. I can understand that living in the same house or, or or, or shelter a quality environment that she's always living. You can't make her live in a shack if she was living in a mansion. Okay. I, I can deal with that per se. And so there's been a, is that what he is trying to say? And then, or should I even say, but, when we look at the Septuagint, and I can't get into these great details, but the Septuagint is a Greek rendering of the Old Testament. That is, this is the Greek translation. So when by Jews themselves. So when Jews took the Old Testament Hebrew and, and they did that because so many Jews were not able to speak and read the Hebrew, but many Jews became Hellenist Jews. Hellenist mean Greek cultured, Greek speaking Jews. And when many Jews began unable to read and to speak the Hebrew, and they were basically reading and speaking Greek, they translated so that they would have the scriptures. These uh, Jewish scribes translated the Hebrew to Greek. And this became known as the Septuagint. And when we look at Exodus 21 and 10 in the Septuagint, they translate the Hebrew as sex. So therefore, the idea to the which I also agree and the text is holding by way of context. The writer is saying that the master cannot reduce her food, her clothing, and as it is translated here, conjugal rights, her sexual activity. And this allowed me to even go further. And this even speaks as to what the apostle Paul kind of speaks of. And I'm talking in principle in the book of first Corinthians, when Paul says this concerning the man and the wife. What did he say? He says, Do not for men and the husband and wife, do not go for extended periods of time without having sex, except both of you agree. That is, husband and wife say, Okay, we are not going to have sex for this while. And Paul says, And the reason why you are giving this agreement is so that you may give yourself. Holy, H-O-L-Y, holy to the Lord in fasting and prayer. We can see that same principle when Moses said in the book of Exodus chapter 19, tell the men's do not have sex with your wife because you are being holy unto the Lord. And so Paul says for the husband and wife, when you are giving yourself in some respect Holy it to the Lord for fasting and prayer that this should be done with agreement. The husband has to agree. The wife has to agreement for this purpose. And so for this temporary time, you abstain from having sex with one another by way of agreement. And then he says, after this time has been completed, come together once again. In other words, have sex So the notion is that sex is to be a part of the marital relationship and should only be broken, only should be broken when such a woman is giving himself unto the Lord. And so we can see this semblance in Paul of the sex that must be given. But notice, go back here. The woman, back to the commentary, is giving herself, is bought By the master as a secondary wife, a concubine for the sex is inclusive of it. And so, therefore, if he becomes displeased with her for any reason, he still has to treat her as a wife, even though she is purchased as a slave. And guess what he he has to continuously give her? What? The same amount of food, same amount of clothing, same amount of sex. (laughs) And then he says, but if the master refuses to give her, what? Remember now, these three things let her go for nothing. Remember, there was different for the female slave than the male slave. The male went out for nothing in the seventh year, but the female slave did not go out for nothing. She had to be bought. But if the master refused to give her those three things, then she now has the right to go out for nothing, just like the male slave. And remember, the three things, one of the three things is sex. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. If he refuses to give her the natural pleasure sexually that a husband should give the wife, then she should be able to find a husband herself who would do these things. Beautiful, isn't it? Slavery. And and keep in your mind how they're different. We're talking about slavery, how slavery is so different in Old Testament scripture than it was for Western society. Okay, All right. We got a few more minutes. So let's go on. Verse number 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he died, if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand. Then I will point a place. You, I will point you a place to which he may flee. If, however, a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar that he may die. I like that. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death to death. Okay. Now we're moving into the section as reasons for the death penalty, which brings my mind back to remember how people are using people today. Remember people today. Let me just say it really, really quickly. Take it back to chapter 20. And I made this comment. People try to use the verse in, 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 in Hebrew, Exodus chapter 20, thou shall not murder or a, a King James version of it. Thou shall not kill. And so when people will confront the death penalty, you have death penalty advocates. Let me slow down. Death penalty advocates calling themselves Christians or whatever. And they would like they would love to quote that the Bible says thou shall not kill. And they should they will use the verse in Exodus 20 trying to go to judges and trying to change political law that people should only have. Life in prison. No matter what they do, if they kill another person, don't kill them. Why? The Bible says thou shall not kill this. That is a gross, gross, the worst misinterpretation of the Bible I have ever heard in my life. Because remember, all you got to do is just read in the very next chapter. And God is not saying thou shall not kill. He is saying thou shall not murder, murder. Is an unlawful killing you shall not kill another person when the law says you can't but there are times in the law when killing is permissible and this is what we see now so not thou shalt not kill thou shalt not murder you can kill when let's go into verse number 12 it talks about if a man strikes a man That he that he dies. He should be put to death. Twelve and thirteen and fourteen goes together. That is if a person kills a person with intent, if you intentionally kill another individual, you will be put to death. That's what it means by if he lie. If a man acts presumptuously towards his neighbor, you got it. If he kills him. Craftily, craft, that means, say for instance, if he plans a murder, you got it? So if he kills a person presumptuously with intent, if he kills a person and plans the murder out, no matter how crafted the plan may be, the point is that individual must be killed. That's the judgment of God, okay? A life for a life, all right? And then it says, so let me deal with the point. So I, so I want to bring it all to you. So intentional murder, premeditated murder, you kill the person who did the killing. But if the person, if something is going on and and he'll talk about this even more so in the law as he moves on and a person kills another person, but he did not intend to kill the person. He killed him, but it was not his intention whatsoever. So the whole idea of all of these things is these things must be brought before judges and all in the case. What the whole situation has to be hashed out before the judges, judged before the judges and determination of all of these things must be made by the judges. And it comes out that this man did not intend to kill it, even though he did. Okay. We simply call that today manslaughter killing, but you didn't intend to kill. The punishment of God is that this man loses his natural habitat and must flee to what would be known as a city of refuge. And this is what God is simply saying, I will appoint a place that he may flee. So You don't put him to death. The person who commits manslaughter, he didn't intend to, but he loses his life as he's been living it. If he has a wife and stuff like that, kids and living a life in a city or whatever, your natural life, you now lose that. And what you have to do is go to a place that God will appoint. And later on, we'll see in the book of Numbers that this will be called a city of refuge, a city where the man slayer can escape the avenger of blood and the avenger of blood is a family member because I might as well tell you, say, for instance, if you killed my brother, but you didn't intend to kill him. Never. The, OK, let me, let me take the first cause. The first case is if you kill my brother, you kill my brother and you intended to kill my brother. I have the right because that's my brother. The first cause, the first case, the first right comes to me and I can kill you. I, me, kill you. Not some court or judicial system. The judicial system of the law says the family killed you. That's how it worked. You got it? And those family members, the one with the first right to kill, this person became known or call the Avenger of blood, the Avenger of the one who killed his family, the Avenger of blood, okay? But if you you kill my brother unintentionally, then the idea is I'm coming after you to kill you, But, but the law has made provisions for your life to save your life and you could flee to a city of refuge. And there were six, there were six. And these six came out of the 48 cities that were given to the Levites. Okay, I'm just talking, might as well. And you could flee to one of these six cities. And there you would stay to the death of the high priest. And when the high priest died, you can then come out of the city of refuge and return back to your homeland, And continue to live your life. And at the death of the high priest. I as the avenger of blood. I could not look for you. To kill you. As long as you remained In the city of refuge. And the high priest was alive. I could come to kill you. But if you were in the the city of refuge. I couldn't kill you. In the city of refuge. So long as you stayed there. I couldn't kill you. But the day that the high priest died. You were allowed to come out of the. Uh, go back to wherever your family was, to your properties and all that other kind of stuff like that. You were allowed to go back. And I, as the avenger of blood, could not put my finger on you. OK, so that's the idea. All right, all right. all right. I went way too far. I'm taking too much time. But I do want you guys to understand it. This is the law. Isn't it beautiful? But anyway, and so it's and that's what it talks about. God appoints a place for the person. OK, and then it also talks about the altar. All right. Let me talk about that as well. The altar was a place. It says, even if he goes to my altar, if a person kills another person intentionally, whether uh, intent at the moment or craftily, he makes a plan. And then the person runs to the altar. The idea of the altar means they are seeking the mercy. The altar is a place of mercy. So you go and and you'll see this. Are taking place in in the new I'm sorry later on even in the in 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 Davis, uh, um Solomon dealing with different people and other people grabbing hold of the altar. But anyway, I don't want to get into it. It simply means the person, the killer, the the, the premeditated murder, the one who killed with intent, runs to the altar. He grabs hold of the horns of the altar that is seeking mercy from God. And therefore, when a person comes and see a person grabbing hold to the altar, the normal response is you back up off the individual because they're before this sacred altar of God. And therefore, they are looking to obtain mercy. God is saying what if a person kills intentionally, even if they should grab hold to the altar of God. No mercy is to be given. You go and take him from my altar and you execute him anyway. Okay. So that's the whole point that God is giving thus far. Execution is to any person who create, who does premeditated murder, whether it's at the moment or planned out. But if a person kills by virtue of manslaughter unintentionally, don't kill him. He has to go to a city of refuge. All right. Now, verse number 17. I'm enjoying myself. So let's go on a little further. He who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. And, and, And okay, stop there. And here's the reflection of remember, I told you the principal commandments given in the law. Chapter 20, honor your father and your mother. And here is the derivative expansion of this commandment. What does it mean with honor? A part of honoring is never to curse father or mother. Cursed father or mother here literally means not, not to strike here. It means here to speak evil of. To speak evil of. So you, uh, if a child is going about speaking ugly things concerning his mother, whether to the mother and father or even to others than the mother or father. The, point, the punishment is to put the child to death Therefore, the basic foundation of society is always to be should be sustained because what society is built on the home, on the family, father, uh, wife, mother and children. This is the very fabric of society. And if the child has no respect for the mama and the daddy, he ain't going to have no respect for nobody else. So this is going to become a problem for society. But it is extremely important that the mother and father should always be honored. And this is what Jesus was talking about when it says the law of Moses said, if you do not honor your father, he should die the death. He should be put to death. Okay. 18. If men have a quarrel and one strike strikes the other, the other with a stone or with his fist and he does not die, but remains in bed. If he gets up and walks around outside on his staff, then he who struck him shall go unpunished. He shall only pay for his loss of time and shall take care of him until he is completely healed. OK, so now it's talking about basically two men fighting. OK, two men fighting. So two men fighting and one strike him and he doesn't die. whether well, he strikes him with a face or get up a stick and goes upside his head. <laughs> but. He doesn't die. And he is on his bed. He is injured. He is really injured. And then he comes off of his bed and walks on a staff for a while. And then he gets better. So that's how that is. So notice he strikes him. They're fighting. He doesn't die. So therefore, because he doesn't die, you cannot put him to death. That's what Moses is trying to say here. He doesn't die, even though he injured him. You You can't put the man to death just because he uh, hurt him. And that's the idea that we will see developed in an eye for an eye. Equal justice. Okay, but let's just keep let's deal with the text. But the man is on his sick bed. Then he is still injured for a while. He goes on a cane for a while. And then the man fully recovers. So the man who injured him from the moment that the man is injured is on his sick bed, losing wages. And then even as the man is recovering, walking on a stick as he is recovering. So the man who injured him must pay monetary, monetarily. He got to pay money for the injury that he caused, for the time that the man is on his sick bed, unable to work for the time that the man has his injury, walking on a cane up until he fully recovers. The man who injured him has to pay money for all of that. And that man who is paying the money who injured him, he, he cannot be he cannot be put to death. He is simply fine. So here he's dealing, dealing with the liability issue. You got it liabilities. And that's what he's going to talk about for quite a bit of this section. Now let's continue. Verse number 20. If a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and he dies at his hand, he shall be punished. Okay. So now here he's talking about the male or female slaves, right? If the man is punishing the female slave, remember the whole tenor, the whole tenor is God always wants The master, the slave owner, to treat his male servant or female servant with kindness. We have talked about that all with the upper section. So I don't need to rehash all of that. So the idea of the idea is somehow the the male servant or the female slave has done something worthy of punishment, worthy of punishment. You got it. But. The master goes too far in the punishment. You shouldn't have did that much. You shouldn't have did that much. You got it. And and what happened? The female slave or male slave dies because of that punishment. The physical punishment the master has given to him. Right. It says the master shall be punished. Now. It kind of leaves it in an ambiguous sense. And I like that, too which it seems to su- suggest that it leaves it up to the judges to decide the punishment. But it did not say that the master shall be put to death. So this seems to, to be the idea that female slave, male slave, they did something cause you always want to be good. So this, the idea of God's perfect law, master being good to the slave, and we know people do bad things just like our children, we can be good to our children and they can do bad things. And the, and the master punishes the slave, but it goes too far and the slave ends up dying. But the idea is the slave is still the property of the master. And because the slave is the, ma- is the property of the master, God doesn't say put the master to death. But nevertheless, because the slave is a human being and is of value, the master must not go unpunished. You still went too far. You you can't simply say, that's my slave and I can do what I want. No, indeed, your slave died because of what, as a result of what you did and you will be punished. And this, notice because of the ambiguity, is to be determined by the judges. And then once again, something that still strikes me personally, even though God did not directly state that the master be put to death, which seems to be that this is not what he wants. He didn't say that he shouldn't be. He didn't say that he shouldn't be, which seems to suggest that the judges can make that determination. Say for say you have been a cruel master to your slaves. You are abusive to your slaves. You have known to be abusive to your slaves. And now, because of your abuse to your slaves, one has died. Therefore, it is our judgment. You should be put to death. You got it? So God, it seems to leave it open, even though it's not stated. So God didn't want the slave owner to be put to death. That is the idea per se. Accidental death. But nevertheless, he seems to suggest there is that openness for it. All right. Let me see where we are in our time. All right, guys. You know what? We is almost an hour. I truly love the law of God. And so let's take a look. What are we looking back? What can we say about what we've seen thus far? The treatment of slaves. God has issued uh, regulations. For slavery, And the one thing that we can see principally concerning that is God has always wanted the slaves to be treated with kindness to the point where the slave should love his master. But in the event, nevertheless, the God has always made uh, 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 avenues that if the slave is ever mistreated, and we'll get into that even further, the slave should be set free and the master should be punished. And then as we continue to move through the text, God talked about the death penalty and how that if you take human life with intent, such an individual should be put to death. And if you disrespect your parents, such a child should be put to death. Boy, how that would transform our society today. But anyway, nevertheless, we stopped there. This video has been going for just about an hour. I love it, and I truly hope, guys, that you have loved it thus far. Anyway, let me say this before I go, guys. Producing these videos take a lot of time, and they take resources too, guys. All the the computers, the cameras, blah, 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 blah. They take resources. So if God touches your mind and your heart, Bless this ministry. If it helps you, if these teachers help you, bless the ministry. Send a donation or even become a monthly partner with me so that I can continue to do these things. I don't do it. I don't do it to make money. God forbid, but I do it that the ministry may be supported and that I might continuously with joy because it does give my heart joy to continuously bring these lessons to you for your benefit, for your spiritual enrichment. Okay, so help me out. All right. Anyway, God bless. We'll see you next time as we continue in the teachings of Exodus chapter 21 in the law of Moses. See you next time.